Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. Hey, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Today we're talking about solopreneur challenges and how to metamorphosize yourself from a solopreneur to an entrepreneur. Show that you have something to scale, and now you're going to need technical marketing and leadership expertise to raise capital and build that business. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Our mission is to discuss and deconstruct insights from top-performing entrepreneurs and industry experts. Every week, we uncover untested tactical solutions to solve your company's toughest hiring problems. Today, our guest is Hisham Saman, the well, he's an angel investor and president of OC Tech coast the angels uh sham is an experienced ceo gm senior executive and angel investor senior advisor and board member to ceos management teams and private equity companies as well as startups he's a respected leader with strong vision value creation turnaround and expert and acquisition expertise and has successfully grown and exited businesses Hisham is considered an expert in the technology, education, and real estate industries, and has been a featured speaker at several industry events. So he's the newly elected Tech Coast Angels uh, Orange County president and has received the Excellence in Entrepreneurship Award from OCBJ and was recently named New Investor of the Year by Tech Coast Angels. Hisham, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Good afternoon, Rick. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being here. I was a little rough in getting that first part out, but we're going to cover some fun stuff today. So we're going to cover about... This show actually came to fruition with our engineer and the uh, OC Talk Radio owner posing the question, what happens after you get the money, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So we're going to talk about what's needed to attract an investor and the importance of the team, as well as how to attract and scale your team. So let's start with the foundation of this, which would be what really needs to be in place to attract that next round of funding after you know your friends and family have, have given you some money. Sure. Uh, typically, the uh, seed round, which follows the friends and family round, is, is really where the angel networks typically play. Sure. And the main things we typically look for are a solid business model. Got it. Uh, a strong team. And then a deal structure that, that makes sense and is attractive as an investment. Okay. So let's break those down a little bit. I mean, so let's talk about that first piece, um, the, the, the business, the business model. model. Yeah. Sure. So we'll look at the industry. We'll look at the space, see if there's headwinds or tailwinds. Um, look at the um strengths of the business model is there something unique being brought to the table is there some ip um, is there a unique approach to solving a problem that might not exist and a lot of it is kind of a subjective um, gut feeling from the various angels sure. some of it is really more kind of industry practices that you kind of look at and you know what works and what's difficult so you look at that business model you kind of gauge the likelihood of success uh, versus, you know, the, the challenges that that'll come with the different types of business models. Um, and you gauge it on how likely they are to succeed considering all those different factors. Sure. And so how much better is this mousetrap going to be than the other mousetraps that are out? Exactly. Okay. Got it. I mean, so you've got 
somebody who's got a kind of a decent business model, the next piece would be the team. The team. Yeah. Okay. And, and the team is probably the strongest piece of it all. All right. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so this is the, the I, what I find is probably the most difficult piece for them to build, especially if you're a solopreneur and you've got an idea and you're working on it and you've got some money. How do you start building? You know, which we'll, we'll get into that later. But yeah, so what do we look for in a team? Well, solopreneurs, I'll, I'll tackle that next. But yeah. initially, you look for a team that's kind of well rounded, has got experience in the specific field or industry uh, that they're engaging in, uh, and are really sharp and really committed uh, with the right team, uh, the right abilities. They're able to pivot and adjust the business to make it successful. Sure. Uh, so it really matters a lot more than the business model itself because the business model can change, but the team is what you're counting on to take you there. Yeah. You get somebody who comes in, they've raised funding, maybe it's two guys, mm -hmm. right? Do you also look at the willingness for them to kind of bend and, and recognize what they have in place and, you know, what are the other pieces of that team that... Yeah, that's a great point. So one of the key things we look for in a leader or leadership team is coachability. Yeah. And we look at that and we kind of gauge how open are they to getting others involved, getting input, getting expertise in areas that they might not, might not be the best at. Yeah. And they need to be self-aware of what they're strong at and what they're not strong at and be able to leverage the people around them for, for their strengths. And that's sometimes a tough thing because they're so heads down in what they're doing. They're not necessarily self-aware of what's going on. And that's one of the biggest kind of red flags, especially yeah. when you look at kind of the, the solopreneurs. Um, a lot of times they're very sharp individuals with a passion for a business that's kind of been their baby for a long time, yeah. uh, but are reluctant to you know, share control of their baby yeah. with, with other, you know, key people in the organization. And I think they have to realize that, that it's not going to happen. The business is not going to grow by it with one person. It just doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. You know, you need a strong team. You need to rely on others. And, you know, the, the power of many is much stronger than the knowledge of one. Oh, absolutely. And if you don't have the capital to be able to go out and hire those people, then what do you have? Well, that's a challenge. Um, what we find is typically the entrepreneur or leader that is dynamic, engaging, and very passionate and can really paint a exciting vision, can really sell others on jumping on board, even at, you know, zero pay yeah. to help build the vision. Absolutely. Um, so that's really a key trait is being able to generate that following when you're not able to generate that following, it's really difficult to bring on team members without having a ton of funding. But, you know, most technical guys don't have that, that charisma, right? So how do you get past that? Well, whenever you're looking at whether it's a technology play or a medical play or a, something that's kind of an invention and you, and you have a technical lead, it's I, I personally look for that individual to partner with with somebody else who's more of the kind of the standard business management ceo outside relationship expert that can help raise funds have relationships with um, partners and clients and so forth it's it's a challenge i see when you've got a technical um, leader 
holding on to the reins. Yeah. So hopefully they've had the foresight to actually go out and find themselves a mentor or somebody on the business side who can, who believes in their mission as well, who can effectively help them. Absolutely. And that's yeah. one of the key roles that angel investors specifically can play. Many of them are entrepreneurs themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them love to engage with the companies they invest in. And as long as they're open to that involvement and feedback, they can oftentimes derive a lot of value from from their investors. See, I think a lot of people don't know that. So active angels will or angels will be active in the company as well, if, if, if need be, right? Correct. I'd probably say out of our Tech Coast Angels network, there's probably somewhere between 25 to 40 percent of our members that probably would be open um, or interested in being active to some level with some of the companies that they're helping. And some of them do it uh, because they're just passionate about the space that they're in. Yeah. Uh, others are really interested in helping you know, the entrepreneurs achieve the kind of success that they've seen for themselves or others. So this is essentially another resource for talent in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. I think oftentimes the CEOs that are raising funds underutilize the investors resources. You know, they, they sometimes feel like when the fundraising is over, then they get back to business. And I think that's really when you can tap into your investor pool who now has a vested interest in your success to really help you achieve and overcome some of the obstacles. Well, typically the investors are also advisors, right? Correct. So, but you can also bring in advisors and that's something that as a, as an entrepreneur, you should be leaning on those people and gaining their expertise as much as possible. That worked for me personally, um, to a great degree. I joined different CEO groups. I had uh, a couple of mentors that mentored me specifically. I created an advisory board. I had a board of directors and all those combined really helped fill in all the gaps that you aren't even aware that you have. Got it. Now you're talking about when you were at quick start. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So a little, little background. You, you actually were the CEO of quick start and you effectively helped to get it acquired. Correct. So QuickStart was a technology training company that we grew uh, organically and through acquisitions and then sold to a public company. Good for you. Thank you. You've got to be proud of that. (laughs) I can't complain. All right. So now that we've graduated from being a solopreneur to an entrepreneur and we've got a team around us, what what would you say would be kind of the biggest hurdle that you see when people come to you uh, with a team uh, that I would imagine giving up the equity is kind of the, the biggest hurdle that you see? So that's a challenge with, you know, just about any business owner, especially ones raising funds, especially solopreneurs. They want the funds, but tend to overvalue their business, uh, tend to be reluctant to give equity to key employees and want to maintain tight control, which is understandable, but it's also limiting. So let's look at a typical scenario. Like what when you get down the road and you get to an exit as the, as the CEO or founder of the company, what should I expect to gain out of that? Like what's the percentage of the company I should be holding at exit? Yeah. It really depends on how long you've been at it and to what scale and, yeah. and, and size you've been able to drive the business and probably a little bit of the industry that you're in. For yeah. example, uh, in the med tech space, it's a huge amount of investment. Oh yeah. And, it's years until you get cleared for 
the different, you know, FDA and so forth. So you could probably expect to own maybe 10 or 20% at the end as a founder. Got it. Um, in businesses that are probably more service oriented, where it really m- relies more on your own abilities and your own expertise and maybe the expertise of your team, you might be able to maintain 30 to 40% equity. Uh, but in general, uh, my common kind of explanation to entrepreneurs and to teams are 10% of a large amount oftentimes is much more than 100% of a small amount. And oh, that's, that's really the way yeah. you have to look at it is what value do you believe or your investors believe you'll gain from giving up equity? Yeah. Uh, and what is that value to you when you translate it into um, you know, an exit value? Got it. So when you're going in for the seed, funding in the first round. I mean, what, what do you typically see? And I mean, I'm guessing they want to give up 10% maybe for a lot of money. What's kind of the 10 to 25% tends to be about the average. Got it. So that's what we should expect guys. So we're talking to Hisham Saman, the angel investor and, and president of OC tech coast angels. We need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about how we're going to attract talent to our team. We'll be right back. You're listening to Higher Power with Rick Gerard, giving you access to recruiting techniques that will help you hire key talent to build your company towards real success. Rick is a recruiting executive and entrepreneur who's been successfully recruiting in the aggressive Silicon Valley technology landscape for the past two decades. After a very successful stint at Apogee, he founded Stride Search in 2012. Based on a lean efficiency model, Stride has uniquely positioned itself as a leader in retained search for the most critical talent hires within a small organization. Whether you're a startup executive or recruiting professional, by listening to Higher Power with Rick Gerard, you will walk away with skills to help you attract and hire great talent. Now back to Higher Power with Rick Gerard. And welcome back to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and our guest today is Hisham Saman, angel investor and president of OC Tech Coast Angels. So we were just discussing a little bit about kind of what you need to do to attract an investor. And now we're going to talk about how to kind of scale the team because... As you mentioned before the break, team is really the most important thing or one of the most important things, right? So let's talk about how to go about building it. I mean, you mentioned earlier actually taking advantage of your angel investors and and maybe bringing them on board. So let's say, I'm again, I'm an engineer. I've got a product. Would somebody like you be somebody that I would consider bringing in as maybe a CEO in in the short term to get it going? That's definitely an option. A potential that we've seen that happen several times in our network yeah. um, whether it's for a short period of time until we help build the team yeah um, or if there's just the right fit on a longer term basis uh, but regardless building the right team is, is probably the most important thing yeah. that you can do well and you mentioned charisma and being able to share that passion and draw people in but if somebody doesn't have that right? But they've got all the other pieces. You need to find somebody who does have that, who's passionate about it, who can draw people in. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, the, the key to bringing people in is they've got to be able to get excited about the vision and believe that the company's going places. Yeah. And beyond that, then you've got to put a balance of, you know, compensation, which involves equity and pay and, and get the right resources at the right time of, of the stage of the company. And that's, it's a challenge. Yeah. And the big draw when you're at this phase is really the equity. 
that's where, you know, again, that giving up equity thing, I'm sure it comes into play. Now, what would a typical pool look like for employees at this point? You know, in general, it's a 15 to 20% option pool okay. for employees. Um, for founders, it's a little different. If you're sure. at the point where you're still at concept and you're bringing in team members to help you actually create and, mm-hmm. and build the business, then you're really looking at, you know, splitting up the whole pie into, you know, some, some pieces that make sense for everyone, depending on their contributions. Okay. But assuming you've got the business going and you're creating an option pool for key employees, typically 15 to 20%. Okay. So I've got a product and I've, I've got maybe a couple of people are interested, some turn, like, you know, some potential customers. Do I bring somebody in as a founder or since I've already got it, would they just be kind of a, a VP or a C-level exec? I mean, you know, that's a tough question to ask or answer without knowing the specifics yeah, because yeah. it depends on how much more work needs to be done to create and develop the business. Yeah. If you just need people to execute, then you're bringing them in at staff levels with low equity and, and you're kind of guiding them on what needs to be done. Yeah. If they're coming in and helping to shape and create the business and helping to form the vision, then that's really more of a founder role. Yeah. And it's more substantial equity should go with that. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with bringing somebody in. Let's say this has been your baby for three years and now you're ready to go. Bringing somebody in at a founder level, there's really nothing wrong with that. Not at all. I, I think, you know, you see this in sports all the time where you have top talent on teams, but they can't win championships. Yeah. You've got to get the right people on the team at the right time. Once you get that, it's worth whatever equity almost that that, that you share because yeah. it's hard enough to succeed in in the business world. And having that that right mix of talent, experience, and the personalities that need to gel is is really what you should be focused on. The equity pieces and the compensation should follow. You know, and this is where I, as a recruiter, I've seen this many times where we've been at this stage, and this is the sticking point for the company, giving up more equity, which I find is kind of silly. You know, it, it's hard. A lot of um, solopreneurs and even team members, you know, rightfully so, they feel like they've worked hard yeah. to get the company to where it's at. Sure. Um, now, sometimes they focus on that a little too much. And hang on to the equity when they, you know, they're really sacrificing a lot of value that they could be building in the company yeah. uh, by being a little bit more open and bringing on some of the expertise and talent uh, that they need. I personally had a lot of su- success having multiple employees and managers with substantial equity that really ran the business as if it's their own. Yeah. And I think that was the key for me. Well, yeah. And I think if you've got more equity, you've got more to gain and more to lose. So, and, and you worry about everything. Yeah. When, when you're hired in, in a role with small equity, you tend to do your role yeah. and you tend to look at it more as a job as opposed to your company. Yep. So bringing in somebody, let's say at a founder level, what you're really doing is bringing in a partner and that's really more of a marriage. Yeah. So you really need to be picky, make sure that the personalities fit and that, that everyone's in sync. You need to date. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. but, but if you find that right person, you know, you, you do what you can to make it happen. Yeah. When you find the right person, you know, that, that's, 
And that's the that's the trickiest part. I find that a lot of companies will just hire based on the fact that somebody brings the skills to the table and not look at the other pieces of the puzzle that are really the more the reasons why people stay or they go, which are the cultural aspect and how well people fit with with the rest of the team. Personality and culture fit, I I believe, are more valuable than experience and skill set. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, if somebody's got the right skills, but it's a stretch for them, they're going to even try harder, work harder just to expand their skills as well. So, so that all can be learned. Correct. But you can't teach personality. No, it's, <laughs> you really can't teach fit. No. And um, no. so I've seen some ideal talent with the right skills and right experience, but they just don't gel. And so what happens is it creates an environment that's not enjoyable for both parties. Yeah. And it usually doesn't last long, which defeats the whole purpose of what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, that happens so way, way too often. Correct. Way too often. So now I think part of that too, you you had you you had mentioned using the advisors to vet that talent, right? Do advisors? Do you guys actually look more at that cultural piece than the skills piece when you guys? You know, a little bit. Somebody? It's easier for us to look at the experience and the skill. Yeah. Um, I think we rely a little bit more on the team themselves sure. to vet out the personality and culture fit because the culture and the personality fit is them. Yeah. Uh, the skill and experience, we can do that. If we're intimately involved with the company, then we probably have a strong gauge of the personality and culture styles Yeah. Uh, and, and can give that feedback. But if we're not deeply engaged, it's tough to do that. So we'd be more valuable on the skills and experience side. Sure. Now, when you guys look at a team, too, I'm just going to jump back a little bit. Do you guys value EQ as well? Absolutely. And EQ, we mainly gauge how well they interact with us and each other yeah. during you know, the presentations, during the uh, questioning, during the due diligence process. Uh, you get a sense of uh, how coachable they are, how open they are, um, the integrity level. Uh, we'll also talk to people in the space that know them. Yeah. to get a sense of um, their past relationships sure. and uh, what what people thought of them, you know, that, that have worked with them. Got it. Okay. So now that we've we've kind of moved past that, we started to attract some people, we've got the right team, how do we scale? That's the fun part. Yeah. Right? Hopefully, when you've gone out to raise money, you've done it with a very specific plan in mind. You know, what, I would imagine you'd have to have that plan in mind, otherwise you're not going to get the money. Right? Well, and that's what we would look for, yeah, right? Yeah. So when you're raising, you know, half a million dollars, a million dollars, one of the questions is, what are you going to do with the funds? Yeah, absolutely. And so you should have a plan, and once you get the funding, you should be ready to hit the ground running. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned, tap into those resources, your investors, whoever you bring in. Hopefully, they're strategic and can add value beyond the finances. Yeah. Um, but you scale by you know, executing, um, you know, there's a saying out there, a poor plan executed to perfection is a lot better than a perfect plan executed poorly. And, and so scale to me is all about execution. Yeah. Just, just go out and make it happen. Absolutely. And when you, you mentioned hitting the ground running, right? Build a pipeline prior to this so that you know who you already want to hire. You know, you should pre-plan exactly what you need and, and be able to identify the targets, at least an idea of the people that you want to go after, and start vetting those people prior to even going. Ideally, when we fund, and I can speak for myself personally, 
I prefer that they actually have the team members not only identified, but even there. Yeah. And the only difference is they're going full time when the funding, you know, when occurs. It, so they can pay them, yeah. Correct. Otherwise, they've been, you know, on the sideline as as advisors and, and, and helping out. But I would prefer that they be already um, identified. Got it. So you're talking about the key players, though, key right? players. So, but the people who are doing execution, maybe they need to wrap up certain. Yeah, things. if if yeah. you're if you're hiring developers or sales customer service or sales and marketing, yeah. we don't expect you to necessarily have those lined up. It's great if you do from an execution perspective to hit the ground running a little faster, because you got to keep in mind when you're raising funds, you typically raise it with a plan, yeah. with milestones and expectations, and that's I think another thing that's important to point out is. A lot of times, not enough is put on the execution and making sure that things are still moving along while you're fundraising. So then you raise the funds and you're out the gate behind. Got it. And then you're missing milestones and yeah. you're missing performance targets and it, you lose credibility. So now when you go for the second raise or now when you go for uh, support, you've lost some credibility as to what you're able to deliver on. That's a very valuable point. Very valuable one. It is. And it's, you know, people think when you're done raising the round that, okay, now you can kind of figure out what you want to do and it it catches up to you really quick. Yeah. Well, also, you know, I'd imagine that they have that tunnel vision on raising funding, raising funding, and they forget about some of the other things. And (laughs) believe it or not, we see some that actually like enjoy the fundraising process Uh and you can tell afterwards they're not very passionate and interested in the execution part. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you gotta, you gotta realize, like you gotta realize as a, a leadership team that subsequent rounds are going to get harder and harder without the execution. Yeah. You've got to be able to show that whatever you lay out, you can achieve. So, that, and that brings up a, a- a great point. And again, just goes back to the planning. So having everything ready while you're raising the funding, not having that tunnel vision is very, very important. I love when I see a CEO and team that is executing to such detail that they have to fit you in around their execution of their business as opposed to building their execution around their fundraising. Got it. So to me, it's more impressive when they are telling me about customer appointments and development timelines and, and sharing that, you know, we can meet at this time or that time or, or push the fundraising targets up or back, but we've got to meet these other execution timelines. That to me shows that their head is in the right place. Absolutely. That's, um, that's a great point. That's, that's an amazing point. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Sure. So I'm um, getting the wrap up signal from our engineer Paul over here. So we're just about out of time for today's show. Hasham, thanks again for your time investment. Uh, and, and I wanted to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Again. Absolutely. Now, um, I'm sure there's some entrepreneurs out there that are looking for capital raise. How do they reach you? So go to techcoastangels.com. You can fill out the application there. Okay. And just about any of the angels out there, um, are very open to helping entrepreneurs. It's one of the reasons why they they invest in their angel investors yeah. is because of that engagement with the uh, with the business community. So go to the events. Uh, Any ask, upcoming events right now? 
There are numerous events. I don't have one specifically to okay. um, to pitch, but uh, I'd say go to the events, reach out to the angel investors. Uh, most of us get a lot of joy from helping uh, these young entrepreneurs grow. Absolutely. Um, TechCoastAngels.com, correct? Correct. Okay, perfect. So I want to thank our listening audience for tuning in to today's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, our engineer, Paul Roberts, our producers, Andrea Ballin, Shanti Ryle, and our executive producer, Kim Iverson. To listen to this show and any past episodes, you can check us out on Hire, that's H-I-R-E, powerradio.com, or Hire Power Radio on iTunes. Follow us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Hire Power Radio Show, or you can follow me on Twitter at Rick underscore Gerard. So we have another great show lined up for you guys next week. Our guest is going to be Ken Schmidt, the founder and CEO of Turning Point Executive Search. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power with Rick Gerard on OC Talk Radio.